Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I am just literally sitting here on the couch watching Saquon Barkley and the Giants play Dallas on Sunday Night Football as we record the Kent State recap, as it were. Yeah, the, this is going. This might be the most boring recap that we have to do, it, because, like you know, it was the game went about how we all expected. Uh, how's uh, how's Saquon doing? I have to have professional wrestling on for uh, professional he, purposes. He uh, he's been pretty good. I don't have his stats in front of me. Like, give me a second here. I can try and pull him up. But he's he's been involved quite a bit. Okay. From a more as a pass catcher, as I've noticed, than. Uh, a runner. Let me see here. He's got three carries for seven yards, and he's got seven, seven receptions for twenty-three <laughs> yards. And I know that the yardage numbers are not terribly gaudy here, but if and everyone listening to this, I assume is a huge Penn State fan or otherwise. What are you doing? But he's done things that we saw over three years that have made Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth just kind of you know shake their heads, as it were. Yeah, this this Saquon Barkley kid, he's really something special out of Penn State. That's my Chris Collinsworth. That was that was not very good. Yeah, and I I, I have to work on it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, no one. I don't think of the first tackler has been able to get him down yet. So he's he's had to do a lot of work for the uh, thirty total yards of offense that he has accounted for. Yeah, I saw someone. If if you're curious, uh, Eli Manning is fourteen of sixteen, solid. 83 yards. Yeah, sounds about right. As well as, as well as three sacks for 27 yards the wrong direction. So I, I saw someone... This has been a very Pat Shermer coach game, if you if you get my drift. I, I, I did see someone tweet that, like, they said something to the extent of, it seems like the Browns' offense is give the ball to Saquon Barkley and let him do something. Uh, not the Browns' offense. I know you would have loved that. But the Giants' offense is give it to Saquon Barkley and tell him to do something. And I just went, oh, my friend, you have real- no idea what that is like. Real briefly, because you you mentioned it, my my childhood NFL team, the Browns, <laughs> went, did a did a very Browns thing today, and my kind of adopted hometown in, in Detroit, the Lions, did a very Lions thing today. So it has <laughs> been a very very typical NFL Sunday for for the Matt DeBear NFL fan experience. And in a way, it was for Matt DeBear, the college football fan. We got uh, what is slowly but surely becoming a typical. Saturday for Penn State when they're going up against uh, when they're going up against opponents that definitely are not near the caliber of them. Uh, Nittany Lions going up against Kent State in Happy Valley. Final score sixty three to ten. Trace McSorley led the way. Five total touchdowns. Uh, two with his arm. Three with his legs. Uh, through the air, he went 11 for 22 for 229 yards and a pick. Uh, that completion percentage and the interception are a bit misleading because he was better than those numbers indicate on the ground. Miles Sanders toted the rock 14 times for 86 yards, no scores. Jonathan Thomas with his first career touchdown, which we were all pretty stoked about. Uh, Mark Allen and Ricky Slade also got into the end zone. Through the air, DeAndre Tompkins led the way, four receptions, 101 yards, and a score, Brandon Polk, two catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. And then the surprise is Daniel George hauling in a pass, going 90 from Sean Clifford, who also had a passing touchdown, and is uh, three for three, 117 yards, and a score. Daniel George caught that one touchdown, went 95 yards, and found pay dirt. Um, Cam Brown led the way with seven tackles. Uh, Sharif Miller and a surprise Jason Owe both led the way with two sacks. Matt, uh, I don't think that there is a ton when it comes to this individual game for us to talk about. So just speaking broadly, 
the one thing, the single biggest takeaway that you had uh, from this 53-point win that the Nittany Lions had on Saturday? Um, I'm sorry, Saquon just made another first tackler miss. For <laughs> He got about nine yards that time, so he, he about he added about a, a 33% to his, his, his total. Um, I, I know I, you should have some grand takeaway from a game that you win by 53 points, but um, I guess if there's one thing, it's they kind of stuck with the game plan. Um, anyone who watched will admit the same thing that I don't think Penn state was terribly, um, focused on track early on. Um, it got down to 21, 10 at one point after the McSorley interception led to the, the field goal the defense stepped up well there to prevent the, the touchdown. But, um, it's kind of the script we've seen, not so much in the Appalachian state game because of the fourth quarter, but they followed against Pitt. And really, the last two years and in three games now has been you know, the second-half team MO, where, I don't know, Saturday wasn't necessarily second-half adjustments or halftime adjustments, yep. but it was, okay, you know, it was it's 21-10. This is a team that we should really be putting away. We're just you know, significantly better than them. Um, we've shot ourselves in the foot a few times. That's something that we'll get into a little bit more um, in a minute here. But they really, and I think a lot of this credit goes to the coaching staff and especially Trace McSorley, they never really were flustered. And what the kind of thing that you can see happen with a team like Penn State that relies a lot on not necessarily just young players, but inexperienced players, guys that are really getting their first taste of significant action, whether it's as a starter or as a, a reserve, that's it's getting a, a lot of playing time. So, yeah, I think it, there was some cause for concern early, if you want to call it that, but they really, you know, to use a horrible cliche, that was a 60 minute game and they, you know, remained focused, you know, right, right to the end, you know, didn't panic, allowed, allowed the talent to take over, trusted, trusted the, themselves to make the plays they weren't making to ultimately you know, pull away over the third and fourth quarters. Yeah. I, it, it felt a little bit weird. Uh, it, it seemed like this game was going to go into the locker room with the score being 21 to 10. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't that close. Um, Penn state, uh, there were, there were some errors in execution. Uh, they got caught with an onside kick that might've rattled them a little bit. The tempo that uh, Kent state was playing with might've rattled them a little bit. Uh, the interception, which, uh, McSorley tries dumping it off to Miles Sanders. Sanders quite, can't quite bring it in, ends up in the breadbasket of a Kent State player. They get held to a field goal. Like it just seemed like a lot of stuff was going wrong. And it wasn't Penn State wasn't quite playing their game. And this was my big takeaway from this one was Penn State had to adjust. Uh it seemed I, I know you're saying sticking to their game plan, and I agree in that sense, but I, I think they had to settle in to the game. They got a little bit phased. There was the onside kick. Uh, that they were unable to recover, uh, which is, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, there was the tempo that Kent State was playing at, trying to, you know, run a ton of plays, toss the ball around, do that sort of thing, go really, really fast. Uh, their scoring drive, 11 plays, 75 yards in three minutes. Uh, and I think Penn State had to get settled down a little bit. The coaching staff had to ease everybody down, and they had to adjust to that. They had to get used to the fact that Kent State was going to play at a pace and play a style of football that 
look to make them uncomfortable. And I think once that happened and once they got settled in, Kent State had one drive where they really threatened Penn State, uh, and it was the touchdown drive, the field goal drive. They started in one place and then didn't move the ball off of there. So it just seemed like Penn State had to respond. And I think in a game like this, where Kent State's not a barometer by any stretch of the imagination, like no offense to them, that, that was a, it was a fun football team. Uh, they did some stuff that I thought, especially, again, when it came to playing fast and trying to put Penn State on their back foot will help them. But you want, you want good teams to go out and you want good teams to mess teams like this up. And it took a little bit for Penn State to get there. I'm glad they were able to do it. I'm glad they were able to settle down after a while. Um, and it, it just worked out great. Everything that Penn State uh, wanted to do, it took a little for them to get into it, but they were eventually able to do it. The, the big thing, Matt, that I think you and I agreed on with this game was we wanted to see Penn State use it as an opportunity to iron out some of the mistakes that we had seen up until this point. I, the big ones that stick out for me uh, weren't always the most sure-handed receivers, weren't always the most effective tacklers. Uh, Ricky Slade put the ball on the ground a few times, but other than that, I don't think there were any real concerns with the rushing game. How do you feel uh after this game, when you look at it from the perspective of using it to iron out mistakes that we had seen uh, in the previous two non-conference games? Well, I think as a whole, it was a, a positive step. I know someone right now is cringing, you know, yelling at their computer or their iPad or iPod or whatever they're using to listen to this, you know, yelling about Jawan Johnson, who I'll mention here in a minute, but the, and, and the mistakes in general. But I think the ones that jump out to me are the, the three um touchdowns that were called back on penalties and you look at the, the players who were the offending parties in each one the first one was the hold on uh, i believe it was michael mennett on the long touchdown pass to kj hamler that got called back on by the way just an absolute perfect throw by by mcsorley mm-hmm. um the second one was the Juwan johnson catch and run for um you know, 25 or 30 yards that got called back in the offensive pass interference um on pat fryermuth and the third was a hold on C.J. Holmes, and I'm blanking on, uh, or C.J. Thorpe. <laughs> uh, C.J. Holmes is our, our walk-on transfer running back from Notre Dame. But um, I, I'm blanking on on who had scored the touchdown there. But regardless, all three of those those penalties that I mentioned were all committed by first-year starters or freshman reserves in the case of um, of Thorpe. And and I guess Firemuth isn't necessarily the starter, but he he's a true freshman, obviously. So and the mistakes are ones of of execution, not of not being good enough, not understanding what they were supposed to be doing. It was a you know the pass interference call on Firemuth was I think we all agree a good call. It's the kind of thing that probably can get called a lot more, but it was definitely offensive pass interference. He definitely threw a, a pretty obvious pick that freed up Johnson. But those are the kinds of things that that a true freshman learns. You know, Menet's hold and Thorpe's hold were, you know, they got they got beat and they took a penalty, but it wasn't. Um, you know, bad technique. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that jumped out to me. There were still the issues with the drops. I believe Polk had, had two, one that went right through his hands that probably should have been intercepted. Um, this is arguing semantics here. The, the Jawan Johnson play that we all remember, 
it wasn't necessarily you know, a drop in the traditional sense. It very much, though, looked like receiver and quarterback not on the same page. I think um, you kind of turn around the turn around the ball was right there. I don't think he expected it either. He wasn't you know expecting to get the ball period, or he wasn't expecting to get the ball that quickly. Um, but it kind of hit him on the shoulders and didn't even really react to the to the pass. But um, concerning nonetheless, from a, a fourth year player in the program um, and a guy who's in his second year as as the number one receiver, at least um, on paper. So tackling, you know. We had something on the site uh, on Saturday right after the game about um, 37 rushes for 41 yards, I believe, was the, nu- the numbers for, for Kent State. I thought um, Oruwari, I think, got beat a little bit on the Kent State touchdown pass, but he still yeah. was right there. He still got a hand on it. And he it, you he know, went, kind he, of deflected right to the guy. He, ga- he gambled, and it didn't pay off. I mean, he he went for the pick, and it – kind of took a bit of a, I don't want to say fluky bounce, but a weird bounce right into the dude's arms. And like, it's one of those things that you can get away with. Again, all due respect to Kent State, it's something you can get away with doing against Kent State. It's a problem if that happens, you know, when he's trying to check someone on Ohio State or someone on Michigan or something like that. Well, and you, even, and you go back and look at his numbers, he still ended up with two passes defended on the day. I don't know you know, if you want to look at how many passes were completed against him on the day. I, I don't know that, but... um. I thought as a whole they 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 executed pretty well and like like I said up front I think not only uh, on the big picture of, of the game they you know kind of stuck with things on two of those penalties they recovered and still scored scored touchdowns after the penalty called one back um, including I think it was two plays later when uh, Tompkins made the great diving catch in the end zone um, after Hamler's touchdown was called back so that's the you know, okay, that one went against us. We're still gonna go right down and score. And it's obviously easier said than done. Easier done against Kent State than it is against an Ohio State here in a couple of weeks. But um, you, you make those mistakes in in the Kent State game and not the Ohio State game. You get it out of your system. You learn from it. You watch it on film. Um, James Franklin said this after the game that um, he's gonna coach this team harder after wins than he will after losses. Um, and he doesn't think that you need the loss or you need a loss to to learn from. You can learn a lot from a win. You, you can see your mistakes on film. Um, and I think that's really what this is. And I think that's really what the first three weeks have been. I think anyone who's being honest with themselves will say that over the first from, from quarter one against Appalachian state to the end of the day on Saturday against Kent state, this team has gotten better. Um, and I think we've also realized that Appalachian state was a pretty good team too. So I think, um, and they've got one more, um, again, no offense to Lovey Smith, his marvelous beard, well, and the no, fighting no, Illini. No, 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 all, all offense to uh, the Illinois football program. Okay, well, I, I I have moved on, as it were, because Tim Beckman got what he deserved, and um, well, oh no, I'm not even falling off the face of the planet. I, I'm not even saying that. Like Illinois, just I, I mean, they have to salt the earth in that program. Maybe just unplug, you know, take it out and blow in it, and then put it back in, and hopefully it works <laughs> like a Star Fox or something. But but Friday night's game, and I know this, that's a topic for another discussion. Is is one more chance to, um, to to learn without the the pressure, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, before they really get into the meat of the Big Ten schedule with Ohio State, the bye week, Michigan State, um, and then and on and on. So um, all in all, I think you know you're always going to find things, and they're you know the, the big things are still the drops, and and Jawan Johnson in particular, just kind of almost in between things in a sense. 
um, you know, those are things. Hopefully, um, we saw DeAndre Tompkins take a huge step forward on Saturday. Hopefully, Friday night is that for, for Johnson, and um, you know, everyone's kind of mentally where they need to be going into Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten schedule. Yeah, I mean, it, to kind of look at it, you know, through the analogy of like boxing or something like that. In boxing, you judge things by rounds, and you go, you know, this person won. Uh, six rounds, this per this person won in a 15-round fight, you know, this person won eight, this person won seven. If you're looking at the entire season, Penn State has been the better football team in really, d- definitively, I will say, in all but two or three quarters, maybe. Like, I, I you know, we're always conditioned to remember the bad things more than we remember the good th- things, but... So far, if you take that fourth quarter against Appalachian State out of it, and I like, I know you can't do that because you have to look at things as a whole. But outside of that, like for three quarters, you know, they didn't struggle. I don't think they struggled with App State as much as I think App State's just a good football team, and they uh, were a bit of a handful against Pitt. They got off to a bit of a slow start, but eventually they were able to pick it up and just mow through them. And then they really only had one quarter against Kent State where. Uh, you you know it ended seven to three, but I you know I think still think they were the better team during that quarter. So the mistakes, yeah, it's Juwan Johnson uh starting to haul some passes in. I, like I hope that getting his uh touchdown reception taken off the board because board isn't something that like impacts him. Um, his incompletion, if I remember correctly, it was he was running like uh you know, a hook or something, and McSorley just fired it in there about a quarter of a second before he probably should have, and Johnson, like, just doesn't have superhuman reflexes to go up to get it. Whatever, that kind of thing happens. It's exacerbated a bit by the fact that, you know, we're a little concerned about drops with him. My big thing is more, I, I if you're playing, if you've played three football games and in two of them you've gotten surprise onside kicked in them, you'd think you there would be some kind of uh, some kind of lesson to be learned there. I, that concerns me because that's the kind of thing where, let's say hypothetically, it's the fourth quarter of Penn State Ohio State. I, I'm just going to use this because the numbers are going to be a little bit easier. Penn State takes a. 28-7 to lead into the fourth quarter. Ohio State scores a touchdown. They surprise onside kick them because they now know how to do that against Penn State. Suddenly it's 28-20. Like, it's one of those things that gets uh, the big looming, clock, big looming weight hanging over all of us. That is momentum. It's something that can work against, that can give the other team a little bit more confidence and swagger. That's something that I really, really hope they fit, figure out sooner rather than later. And just to like ease my mind, I would not mind seeing Illinois try something like that next week. But otherwise, you know, they have to get better with drops, uh, start hauling a few of those in. Again, McSorley was 11 for 22. You can make the case that he probably should have had maybe one or two fewer completions and five or six fewer thrown passes, just because that's the nature of the beast. The interception, again... I don't think that was really his fault, if you want to argue. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, Ball got put on the ground a few times, whatever. Tackling, I thought they were really good. Uh, I thought they were able to wrap them up and take dudes down. So, for the most part, like, a lot of the stuff that concerned me to this point in the season, 
going into this game, more or less, it seemed like there was a, not that they were trying to get them fixed, but they weren't as big of problems. Whether they pop up again or not, I don't know, but whatever. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about with regards to this game was the importance of Penn State using it as a chance to get some young guys or some some people who don't contribute that much some run. Whether it was a Sean Clifford or uh, or a Daniel George or a Pat Fryermuth or a uh, a Jonathan Sutherland or a Lamont Wade, you know, not Lamont Wade, uh, Jason Owa, those young dudes, or whether it's a guy, you know, like Jonathan Thomas, who's been in the program for a while and might get called on, might have to do some stuff, or Ellison Jordan, who, again, he, we've seen him get some playing time. I, I believe he recorded his first sack this week. So that, just that kind of stuff. So, w- Matt, I think you agree that was of some level of importance to this game. Were you content to the extent that they were able to get that done? Yeah, I think um, both in terms of rotating some guys that are, whether it be true freshmen that are going to play this year more than the four games allowed, or you know second or third string guys that are going to get rotated in and play meaningful snaps, um, as opposed to the Jonathan Thomas, who is it's a great story in and of itself, obviously, um, a guy who's been here for five years and really hasn't had a chance to play um, a whole lot of football, whether it be because of injury or guys like Saquon Barkley being ahead of him on the depth chart. And a positional change. Well, two positional changes. Yeah, he, running he went, back to went, linebacker to running back. Exactly. Um, whether Or in guys like that, I think they did a good job in the first three quarters getting guys opportunities to play when the game was quote-unquote in doubt um, you know, before it, it really got out of hand. And then late getting guys like Daniel George and Sean Clifford and um, Zach Koontz played. Um, I believe in all in all, there were five true freshmen. Yeah, it was Jahan, Don- Jahan Dotson, Daniel George, Jason Oway, Trent Gordon, and Zach Koontz all uh, played their first snaps. Um, Gordon started on special teams and actually got at least one or two series. I believe it was actually late in the first half um, when there were, at one point, there were four true freshmen on the field. It was uh, it was Owe, Gordon, uh, Mustafer, and uh, who was the, the fourth? But regardless, um, I think they yes, yes, thank you. Um, they really did a solid job. Um, I think getting the right guys, the right kind of experience. You know, the the five true freshmen that play today, unless something goes wrong are probably destined for a red shirt. Um, you know, the guys that are going to play more than the four games as things stand today, September 16th, as we record this are the guys that are going to, um, that, that are going to play their as true freshmen, you know, the Parsons, the Slades, the Lukitas, um, you know, obviously Pinnegar, there's a couple more I'm forgetting, Mustafer, a couple more I'm forgetting. Um, the other guys are ones that are going to, um, you know, potentially, be held in reserve if something goes wrong injury wise. Um, you know, I think uh, Franklin alluded to that with a guy like Nick Tarburton who played the first two games, didn't play on, on Saturday. He, um, I think said in, in as many words that their plan is to redshirt him, but they want to hold him back um, until later in the year um, in case they end up needing him from an injury standpoint or something like that. So 
all in all, you know, there's always something you can nitpick. I would have probably taken McSorley out a series earlier than they did, but that's, you know, you know, nitpicking to the nth degree, not a big deal. Um, I thought it was, it was good to see different combinations of guys, especially on places like the offensive line or the defensive line, um, because, you know, all it takes is one injury and your, your combination is, is different. So getting guys experience with different players playing next to them in key spots like that, I think, can only help down the road. Hopefully it doesn't become necessary down the road, but you just never know. Um, I, th- I think they're in a, in a pretty good spot with, with who's had experience um, as from a red shirt standpoint and who's had experience from a, you're going to play um, whether it's a true freshman or not, you're going to play meaningful snaps, you know, on and off throughout the whole year. So um, yeah, I, not, I can't complain too much, I guess. And I'm sure there's something that I'm missing that, um, you know, you, you could say, you know, I can't believe they did this or I can't believe they didn't do that. But um, for a game that I can't even tell you how many different guys appeared on the participation report, um, I think they, they managed the, the personnel and the, you know, guys getting experience in the right situations very well. Yeah. I mean, even if it's something as simple as, you know, I believe Rashid Walker and CJ Thorpe and, uh, Desmond Holmes and uh, Mike Miranda, they like they get run on the offensive line. Like, I'm glad that this because that was kind of the big thing. Uh, again, other than fixing mistakes that I want to see in this game, how many of these young dudes, whether they're someone who they get four games before they Penn State has to make a decision on what they're going to do with them, or they, uh, you know, or they just haven't played a ton of football yet. What are they going to do with the opportunities provided to them? And like, I can't think of any major uh, issues I had with any of those. I mean, Ricky Slade carried the ball five times. Maybe I want to see him carry it a little bit more than that, but I'm also glad Jonathan Thomas got some runs, so whatever. Uh, Sean Clifford is currently on pace to be the best quarterback in the history of the sport, uh, which is uh, would be a nice little consolation for him, I suppose. Uh, I My hottest take that I'm... It, I'm not much of a hot take guy, as many of you know, but the hottest take that I am capable of mustering is that I don't think it's guaranteed uh, that Tommy Stevens starts under center next year because I think Sean Clifford is really, really, really good. And with the collection of pass catchers that Penn State is going to have, uh, you know, starting the guy whose best asset is his ability to throw the football might not be the worst idea on earth. But, you know, they rotated receivers like crazy, I know Jahan Dotson got some run. Uh, in addition to Daniel George, we—I don't think we saw Justin Shorter. So I he did not. No, I, I did not. actually while you were talking, I pulled up the participation report. I did not realize you mentioned Rashid Walker. I did not realize that he he yeah. played. Yeah. Um, good for him. Obviously, he's a guy that's going to red shirt unless things go horribly long wrong yes. on the offensive line. But um, that's the kind of you know huge benefit that that red shirt rule. You know, getting a guy like that that yep. clearly is not going to to you know, play in nine, 10, 11 games or more. Um, but giving him an opportunity to at least experience it. So when yeah. he does play next year, he's, he's not totally green. So, um, I did not see shorter. Yeah. So, the, you know, am I reading this right? He might've, I'm not sure. I know I, I'm pretty sure he right. suited up. I don't think he played, but, but you give like, I, you now, like I would, sure. I would have liked to see Justin shorter. Cause I think he's going to be a superstar, but this gives you a chance, you know, you're pushing back the four games that you have with him. What happens if his first game ends up being against Ohio state and all of a sudden nothing about him is on tape and Ohio state doesn't really know 
what it has to do against him aside from, you know, whatever recruiting they did to him, Mike. So I'm glad. Uh, shout out to Jason Ella. He's the one dude that I wanted to make a point to really uh, praise during this. Uh, three tackles, uh, two sacks, two tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry. Um, Matt, I think you agree with me on him. Just real quick, he has the potential to be really, really, really special. And I I feel like their preference is probably going to be uh, use him in four games and then give him the red shirt. But with the talent... I don't, he, with, with I don't ta- know. But... I was going to say the talent that he possesses, like he might only be here for three years. So you might as well just give him run. Yeah, and, that's, and I shouldn't have interrupted you because that's exactly what I was going to interrupt you to say is that he's one of those guys that if you look, you know, two, three, I guess in this case, three years down the road, you feel like he could has the potential at least to be a top 10 or 15 NFL draft pick kind of guy. And I know that's a huge, ridiculous expectation yeah. to put on a kid who's played all of what, probably four or five series of college football. Mm-hmm. But he's, so, you know, from what we've read, dominating not only the freshman class, but the, the team as a whole from a, a testing number standpoint. So he's one of those guys that if he can put the film out there, he's going to just blow up the combine in a way that Saquon Barkley kind of did with just some absurd numbers for a man his size. Yeah. But uh, both of his sacks highlighted both why the staff is so excited about him and why you know Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, everyone in the country wanted this kid. But it also highlighted his, you know, rawness to the position because both his sacks just came on the I'm faster than you and also your size Mm -hmm. where he just pretty much ran right by the offensive tackle. There wasn't a whole lot of of hand fighting to to free himself. So, um, no, I think you you saw a glimpse of of why everyone's so excited about him. Um, But also, you know, kind of hold your breath a little bit here because he's – have some patience, I guess, because he's he's not quite a finished product, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that uh, we'll see him again, possibly in some big games down the road. But uh, when 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 it all clicks for him, that dude has the potential to be special. And uh, speaking of the ability to be special, uh, I think we're at a point in the season where we're kind of getting. Uh, a barometer for what this Penn State team is. Uh, 3-0 and in its three games, 45-51 and 63 points. Uh, number 10 in the country. It, uh, S&P Plus, I believe their eighth uh, football power index has them in the uh, top six to eight, something like that. I believe they're uh, – oh, oh, the football power, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, I, I – all I know from F here, give me a sec. Let me pull it up uh, right here because ESPN has it as Pert's Football Power Index. It has that game against Ohio State as a virtual coin flip. Fifty point five percent chance Penn State wins. Forty nine point five percent chance Ohio State wins. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, as it stands now, it's number thing. three versus number four. So yeah, yeah that's that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that now that the non conference is over, Matt, I think we can look back a little bit on what we've seen out of Penn State thus far and kind of say what we think this team is capable of, both because of what they can do and what the remaining, you know, eight games on their schedule are. So I'll let you go first, but uh, I'm pretty optimistic. 
I'm optimistic with uh, one very, very major condition. Okay, so I'm up. <laughs> that was a backwards way of, of yeah, go for sending it. me up there. Go but, for it. Um, first of all, there's nine games left. We've played three, plus nine is 12. Um, and they are all Big Ten games. So we are, we are through the non-conference schedule 25% of the way through the year. And I'm going to answer this kind of in a backwards way to start. I guess that and I, this came to me because I, I had to to make a tweet at a Ohio area radio personality who, who had some things to say about Penn state and how the big 10 should be judged and, and whatever. But Penn state is 23 and three in the last 26 games. And they have lost those three games by one point at Ohio state. Uh, or sorry, I need to back up three points against USC, one point against Ohio state and three points against, against Michigan and those two three-point losses were on the last play of of each, of each game. I think it, this is weird for me and probably for you too, Bill, to acknowledge that Penn State is one of the best football teams in the country. And um, it was easy, I guess, going into the year to say, well, they lost these guys and they got to replace this. And it's easy now to say, well, they haven't really been tested. You know, they, the best team they played took them to overtime in their own stadium on opening day. Uh, and they've started slow in, in this and that. But um, in all three games, I think you've seen glimpses. And in each game, you've seen more significant and longer glimpses of just how talented and special this team can be. Um, and I'm not going to steal your condition because I know what it is, but as we state sit here on, on September 16th, I don't think there's, there's certainly not any game Penn state should be afraid of. Um, Ohio state, you just mentioned it bill by, by one of the, the more respected analytical advanced stats sorts of rankings out there. They are, you know, it's a coin flip with Ohio state. Um, I got my first chance to see Ohio State really for more than you know a snap or two um, on Saturday night when I saw them watch the game against TCU. And yeah, they're talented. They've got you know four and five star players lined up at every position and future NFL players um, all over the place. But um, nothing that they did that I was that I saw at least said, "Oh, you know, Penn State doesn't have an answer for that." With the possible exception, I guess, of like you know, blocking Nick Bosa, but I don't think anyone in the country has a guy like that. And now you've got, <laughs> and also he might not play Ex- exactly. But, um, I think Penn state fans need to acknowledge that. And this isn't a guarantee. They're going to go 12 and 0 and win the big 10 and they go into the college football playoff and, and all this stuff. But Penn state is, it's a really good football team. They can play with everyone else on their schedule. And with the exception of Michigan, they get, the they get four of the five best teams remaining on their schedule in Beaver Stadium, where they have not not lost since November of 2016 or 15 against Michigan, mm-hmm. um, and it's just and it, they haven't really shown that you know in the losses that they've had to good football teams, all three of you know two of them on the road and a third in a neutral site that was 75 percent USC fans in the Rose Bowl, they've gone toe to toe with them. And I said going into the year that I thought this is Penn State's most talented team under James Franklin. It might not be the best, but it's got the most talent. And maybe by um, you know the end of the season, they are the best you know and most talented. But 
there's nothing that I've seen through three games, could be both the cleaning up of mistakes and the general improvement you've seen from guys they're going to need to rely on, whether it be a Micah Parsons or uh, Cam Brown or Jesse Lokita getting a little more run, um, Nick Scott and Garrett Taylor looking more comfortable at safety. Um, I've been really, really impressed with Castro Fields and Donovan Johnson in the secondary. Hopefully John Reed gets back and then that group becomes even deeper. Um, one thing I want to mention in particular is I've been really impressed with the defensive line, especially with Givens back. Um, but one guy in particular is Ellison Jordan, who's a guy I don't think either of us thought was going to really factor in to the level he has so far this year. Um, his, his knee injury, I believe, was a, a fractured kneecap or something along those lines. He, it was when we learned about it in January or February. I believe it was February we learned about it. It was because he went to a Washington Wizards game in a wheelchair. Exactly. And, and so he didn't really do a whole lot in the spring. And as we understood it, he didn't really do a whole lot during fall camp. Um, and it wasn't that he you know wasn't living up to expectations. He was recovering from a major injury that really limited what he was able to do from a, a training standpoint. And he's been nothing short of, of spectacular in his run. He drew the safety against Pitt. He had a couple big plays on Saturday. He had another one that should have been a big play, but had one of the more egregious holding calls you'll never see called <laughs> happen. I believe it was a third quarter play um, in the game. It was obviously, you know, actually in the fourth quarter, so I commented to someone that the refs just wanted to get out of there. But um, I've been really impressed with both, kind of how they've settled things at linebacker and defensive tackle, which were our two biggest concerns going into the season on the defensive side. Um, they're not finished products by any means, but they've, again, they've gotten better every week and they've got good talented football players there that I think, you know, the, the big test comes here in you know, 13 days as we record this. And, you know, there's, you know, they might not beat Ohio State, but they're good enough to beat Ohio State, and I think that's that's all you can ask for mm-hmm. at this point. I don't think there's really been any huge red flags that that I've seen that you know, uh oh, this is an eight and four team, or uh oh, they they're in trouble against you know all these teams coming up. I think they're they're good enough to play with and beat everyone left on their schedule. Whether they do that or not, of course, remains to be seen. But there's nothing that you know, oh, they you know they just don't match up well with Michigan or. Michigan State just does this, and they're not 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 capable of, of, of handling that. So um, we'll find out more in 13 days here. But I'm yeah. I'm as confident as I was going into the year. I think I picked 11 and one, um, but I you know I I still see that as as kind of where I guess they probably end up. But um, I would not be surprised to see them be be a win better than that either. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it was something that Tim Brando said. Uh, during the broadcast yesterday that it's been a point that I've thought about for a while and he was just able to articulate it when he said after Ohio State the players and the depth of talent here at Penn State is better than any in the Big Ten and I've thought about that I've chewed over that I thought about what we've seen so far out of this team and I really do think that if they can get by Ohio State on the tw- 29th, and, and you know, get by might not be the right way because r- right way of saying that because you know I, I think that game is probably about a coin flip. From there, it's a bye week, and then it's a Michigan State team at home that might not be as good as we anticipated. 
Going to Indiana against a good Hoosiers team, but one that Penn State is way better than, I think. Home against Iowa. Iowa is not Iowa. The, the Iowa at Kinnick and the Iowa and Happy Valley are two different teams. At Michigan, tough game against Wisconsin. Wisconsin lost this week. Rutgers and Maryland. I see a scenario where Penn State can win out, where Penn State can be undefeated, win the Big Ten, and be a no-doubt college football playoff team sitting at, you know, 13-0, have that under your belt, head into the playoff, and make some noise. I see that right now, and that's not necessarily something I saw at the beginning of the season, but... Now that we know they have guys like K.J. Hamler, like Brandon Polk, slowly but surely DeAndre Tompkins looks like he might be rounding into form. We'll see against Illinois, who can bring a dimension to the receiving game that Penn State hasn't really had. They have depth at running back, and also Miles Sanders looks like a legitimate running back one. And the offensive line is held up pretty well. You put all of that around Trace McSorley, who is one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and suddenly that offense looks terrifying. The defense, the young guys are developing, and the guys that we hoped to be standouts, Gitor Grossmato, Sharif Miller, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, they are all being standouts. And we have said, how many times on this podcast, Matt, Penn State has young guys, but that learning curve isn't as steep because they have Trace McSorley. Well, now it looks like that young talent is starting to get to a point where it can make some noise. And if they're able to take down Ohio State, it will be because, in my opinion, that young talent has taken a big enough step forward that it can be on the field with one of the best teams in the country. And if that happens, anything is possible with this team. This team can win the Big Ten. Uh, it can run the table in the regular season. It can head into Indianapolis against a Wisconsin team that it would have had to beat earlier in the season. It's shown that it can go up against teams that want to, for how much I don't think Pitt is great, it showed that it's able to go up against a team that wants to punch you in the mouth and not get shaken too terribly. I think this team right now is capable of being really, really, really special. And yeah, I do think next year's team has the potential to be better. But for now, I'm just riding this wave because, again, if they get by Ohio State on uh, September 29th, it's going to be a night game. It's going to be a whiteout. I'm calling it right now. College game day is going to be there for that. It is going to be the kind of big game atmosphere that Trace, ha- Trace McSorley in his career at Penn State has uh, played pretty well in, even if it hasn't always worked out well. He still hasn't lost at home. Like All these things are going to come together. Win that game this team can go undefeated, and I see the path for it. Uh, long story short, I'm real optimistic at this point. I have no reason not to be. Uh, road games in the Big Ten are tough. Uh, Friday night road games in the Big Ten are tough, but I'm not too terribly worried about Illinois at this point. You get that extra day of rest, all that stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fun non-conference slate so far, and I really, really think that uh, you know, we are in the midst of a season that has the potential to be really, really, really special. Um, any any kind of final things you want to say before we look at uh, the Big Ten this week, which includes a couple of games that I think are going to be really fun to talk about? I th- You hit the nail on the head with, you know, even if that young talent 
doesn't take the next step, you know, before Ohio State, we'll say, or before Michigan State or before Michigan, they still have the X factor in Trace McSorley. And I think, you know, it was, you know, quite literally the difference in the game against Appalachian State with the, the game time drive, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point, given yep. um, the run they've gone on since then. But he, when you have a third-year starter at quarterback, a fifth-year senior, um, and I know, Bill, you, you and I hate this this cliche as much as anyone, but the guy just wins football games. Yep. Especially at home. Uh, Especially it, at home. He has never lost at home. James Franklin's quote after the game, you know, the guy's been a winner since he was in diapers. Um, it's, and it's, it's a dumb cliche, you know, the gamer, the scrappy, the, the moxie. But it's true. The guy just, and I think, like I said earlier, his personality, his body language is so, so important for a team that relies so much on inexperienced guys. You know, he doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. Um, that's so, so important for, for a young team. Um, and I think you're starting to see that a little bit on the defensive side of the ball too. I don't know if it's, you know, one player in particular, but I think, um, you know, the, it, again, it's Kent state and it wasn't Ohio state, but they come out after the, the interception on Saturday and they just throw up the wall. They don't, Kent state does nothing after the, the, the interception, the nice play by McSorley, of course, to, to keep the, the. Uh, Kent State defender from returning it for six, but okay, you know this isn't a little bit of a curveball. We're going to go out there, sudden change, and we're going to force them to, to kick the field goal. It's exactly what they did, and I think whether you know as fans, it's easy to overlook that. I think, but I think for a team that is so young at key spots, that is at, at, those kinds of things are important. I think um, this schedule has set up probably as bad as well as it can for a team in Penn state's position. Um, even down to getting Ohio state early on in the year. Um, yep. and you know, Dwayne Haskins first row. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. That's, that's, you know, a, a preview of what two podcasts be, be, uh, between now and then we talk about that, but, um, they've, they got tested early. They got the emotional game against Pitt in week two they got the, the the layup against Kent State. They have what appears to be a, a, a another layup on Friday against Illinois. Um, I think it's you know everything is is trending the right direction. And, and like you and I both said, it's there's a lot of optimism at this point going into um, you know September 29th. Yeah, let's talk Big Ten. Uh, the games. Eh, we'll just go from bottom to top. Uh, first things first. Pitt beat Northwestern. Ha 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 ha! It was actually Akron. Thirty nine, thirty four. I don't know what you. Uh, I did watch a second to this, Matt. Uh, I don't know how good Northwestern is. Um, I don't know if it's a function of they're coached by a lunatic who thinks RPOs are communism, but uh, it's I. They might not be that good. Yeah, I I saw one play of this game i was i was out of town this weekend so i didn't have access i had one tv and it was um focused on things like lsu auburn and and ohio state tcu and, and whatnot um but from from what i uh discovered on on uh on twitter more than anything 
was that one, this is Akron's first win against a Big Ten team in since like eighteen something. What yeah, did I read that right? I believe. Um, and they also um, went from down two to up eleven thanks to a pair of defensive touchdowns um, <laughs> over the course of, as I'm looking at the box score here, a minute and six seconds, <laughs> which I don't think is good. Um, Northwestern got rolled by Duke the week before, and Duke's a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, th- this is the, the start of, of what become a theme, I think, as we go through the conference slate from this weekend. The Big Ten West is kind of what we thought they were, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, uh, I don't think uh, Northern Iowa losing to Iowa 38-14 to 14 illustrates uh, all that much. Uh, next up we have, ah, there we go, here's one. Uh, Mizzou, 40, Purdue, 37. David Blau threw for uh, 572 yards, and uh, it wasn't enough. Uh, Rondale Moore, who was hot fire, 11 receptions, 137 yards and five scores. But, like, yeah, I mean, Purdue is another one of those schools, man. Like, they, I came into this year thinking they had the potential to be pretty fun. They've lost to Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, and Missouri. Like, I don't know what it is with this team. Uh, but right now... I don't think they're beating Boston College this week. Going to Nebraska and going to Illinois, uh, we'll we'll split the difference one and one there. And then Ohio State at Sparty, Iowa at Minnesota, Wisconsin at Indiana. This could end up being a rough year and taking a lot of shine off of uh, off of Jeff Brom that he came into this year possessing. The worst part about this is Nick was is right. I think Nick predicted them to go three and nine. And I know I will hear about this um, the second he listens to this um, or I tell him about it because I probably will. But on the, on the same hand, they've lost three games by, I got to do some eight points. And yeah, they, they shouldn't be going in a one, in a one point game against Eastern Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. But they've lost. They shouldn't Missouri's score 19 not, points against Eastern Michigan. Exactly. Right? I, you know, you know, don't take that out of it, but they, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. You know, they've lost their 0-3 in, in one possession games, which is um, odd, small sample size and everything. I don't know what their record was last year, if we want to get into that. But um, t- just, you know, another huh, Big Ten West, uh, another loss to, to a non-conference team. Hmm, that's that's well, another one. That's, that's we're, we're two for two so far this weekend. Yeah, I mean, this one isn't uh, weird because they suck, but uh, South Florida, uh, 25, Illinois, 19. Uh, we'll talk about Illinois next week, but uh, Blake Barnett, who I love dearly, uh, 411 passing yards. Illinois, they're a hapless program. Uh, again, we'll talk about them next week, Matt. But I like, yeah, I I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, why does Illinois have a football team? Uh, they were up 19-7 oh, oh, late in the that. third quarter, and and then they give up the seven, ten, eighteen straight points to lose the game. There we go. Uh, in happier Big Ten West news, Minnesota 26, Miami of Ohio 3. Uh, I have no idea what Minnesota's record is. Oh, they're 3-0. and oh, Fresno State, New Mexico State, good for them. Uh, I don't, again, I don't es- expect that they're going to be uh, super good. Uh, I think that there's a chance that, you know, let's say they beat Maryland, who we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, they then have to host Iowa, which Iowa might grind them to death, and they have to go to Columbus against a potentially very mad Buckeye team. So, uh, but yeah, good on, uh, good on Minnesota. I had no idea that they were three and at this point. 
Yeah, I, I watched some of their first game because it was football and, yeah. and it was on. It was like the but, Thursday uh, or Friday night tilt. This, this feel there this is probably gonna be, you know, a six and six, seven and five kind of team that gets into a bowl game and is another step forward for for uh the crazy person that runs their program. Yeah. Uh in the opposite of steps forward, let's talk Nebraska twenty four to nineteen a loss to a good Troy team. Uh Troy solid team. Uh it's also a team that got uh, whooped by Boise State a little uh, to start the year, but uh, and again, Nebraska was was without Adrian Martinez, who you and I believe is going to be a superstar. But for um, you know, I think everyone expected Scott Frost to need a little bit of time. Uh, you know, he went uh, if if memory serves, his first year at uh, at UCF was the year they went winless, and then they took a step forward the following year, and then they took the a step forward the year after that. So like, oh wait, no, his first year was the year they went six and seven. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he needs some time. Uh, Nebraska is a program that kind of uh, needs an extended shot in the arm and not just the shot in the arm that they got when Frost came in. Uh, he's still a really good coach, but uh, and they're they're now zero and two on the season uh, with a loss to a an a power five a group of five school from Alabama, which uh, doesn't look great yeah, they they clearly miss martinez um i think colorado who beat them in in week two um again came back with martinez out um two, they've lost two games by five points each um so two losses by 10 total points they um, had that akron game canceled to start the year which <laughs> the, the popular joke on on saturday night was uh, maybe they were lucky that the game was canceled after the zips uh, went into evanston <laughs> but uh I'm really curious that they Nebraska goes comes to Michigan on Saturday. It's a noon game, and I'm really curious because um, it sounds like Martinez should be able to play. Um, it almost I don't want to say they held him out because I don't think that was the case, but it sounded like you know if if this was week 11 and the game was you know for the lead in the Big Ten West that maybe he plays. It's kind of the vibe I got. Whether that's true or not, who knows? Um, but whatever his injury is, that looked a lot worse against Colorado. Um, is relatively minor, and I think Frost even said after the game that um, you know they are almost expecting to play this week or something along those lines. Um, I'm not Michigan's all of a sudden you know the fun team to talk about. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, briefly. But um, they, I think Nebraska is better than zero and two, but maybe not, but maybe not better than zero and two. If that makes sense, I think they're. They've lost two close games. They played pretty well against Colorado in a little bit of that one I watched. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where this goes if Martinez comes back and is healthy. Um, I still think if Nebraska gets the six wins and goes to a bowl game, I think that's that's a pretty good that's first year for Scott Frost. Oh, yeah. um, and I think, you know, as long as they have Martinez and they keep recruiting at the, you know, as well as they have since since Frost came back, they'll, they'll be fine. But um, – he did not he did not inherit a, t- a particularly talented football program. Uh in a score of maybe the weirdest game, well the second weirdest game of the weekend. We'll talk about the weirdest momentarily. Uh Temple 35 Maryland 14. Uh Temple came into this game 0 and 2 with a loss to FCS Villanova and then a loss to a Buffalo team that is pretty decent, but whew, I mean the thing with uh Matt Canada's offense is that it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And if you can stay patient against it, you can 
you, and you don't fall for those smoke and mirrors, you can slow them down a bit. And, you know, Jeff Collins, for how maybe not great of a coach he is, he knows how to coach up a defense. But having said all that, whew, I did not expect Maryland to lose by 21 points to a not good Temple team. That is, yeah, I, I saw none of this game. I was shocked by the score because, like you said, this is not a good Temple team that came in 0-2 with that Villanova loss, who's not a particularly, I, I believe, you know, I know it varies quickly year to year. I don't believe it is considered one of the better FCS teams, but uh, not good Maryland. And uh, I know this is a Big Ten East team, but uh, as I I said to someone on on Saturday night, this the the bad Big Ten teams are are bad like we thought they were going to be. I don't. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to it here in a second, but I don't think we're terribly surprised that teams that are getting knocked off um, by some of these these group of five teams or, or other non conference games are losing. I don't think there, there's been very few surprises in those, with with the one exception that we're we're teasing ad nauseum here. Uh, next up, Ball State, Indiana. Didn't watch any of this game, but I did want to say Indiana up to 23rd in S&P Plus right now. One spot above Miami, two spots above TCU, three above Appalachian State. Uh, their defense, oh, they made a 21 spot jump this week. Defense 16th in S&P Plus, offense 52nd. Um, Indiana, I, I think FIU, Virginia, Ball State, not exactly murderer's row uh, of a non-conference slate, even though Virginia picked up uh, who, the, oh yeah, they had a pre- their offense had a pretty good uh, pretty good week against Ohio. Uh, I, I don't think, I think we're going to learn more about them this weekend when they host Michigan State, even though, again, I don't think Michigan State is as good as we thought coming into this season uh, than we did during their first three games, but you know, the Hoosiers look like they're shaping up to be a pretty solid football team in uh, year two of Tom Allen. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, all joking aside, I know we love the, the Crimson Quarry guys. Um, I, India is one of those teams that it's like, it's one of those that you can never be mad when they're good. It's kind of it's like, I don't think anyone wants the Browns to be terrible or the Lions to be terrible. You know, it's no one can hate those teams. Indiana football is kind of the same way. Um, I am fascinated by this game against Michigan State on Saturday night because weird things happen in Bloomington and really weird things happen when Michigan State goes to Bloomington every year this is a uh, Indiana got them in I think it was an overtime or double overtime a couple years ago in Bloomington Um, this I'm I'm fascinated on so many levels about what we find out about both both Michigan State and Indiana on Saturday night that's a underrated game on the uh, the Saturday card. Hey, you know how you just said weird things happen in Bloomington? Well, apparently weird things happen at the University of Kansas cuz them De- them Jayhawks won 55 to 14 over Rutgers. With the loss, Rutgers is now uh, the worst team in Power 5 by S&P Plus. They dropped 13 spots down to 114th. Kansas, meanwhile, is up to 82nd. They jumped 23 spots. Their defense is 25th in S&P Plus. Like, I... Honestly, God bless Kansas. Like, they have a good running back in Puka Williams. Peyton Bender looks like he might be fine at court. Like, all this stuff, 
good for Kansas. No fan base deserves a football program that has some modicum of dis- of success more than the poor souls that root for the Jayhawks. But at the same time, Rutgers, you lost 55-14 to to a Kansas team that the week before won its first non-conference game since 2009, dudes. Like, uh, they pulled uh, four-star true freshman Arthur Sikowski, who, uh, you know, Penn State was interested in him as a recruit, ended up backing off. Uh, did he throw three pick sixes? I, I'm looking right now because I, I remember seeing it at some point during the game. I, I saw none of this game, which I kind of wish I had been able to watch a little bit of it. Oh, yeah, I want to watch this immediately. At, at 24-7, there was a Kansas interception return, a Kansas uh, touchdown pass, a Rutgers blocked field goal return for a touchdown, and a Kansas uh, interception. I'm looking to see if there was one more pick six. I don't. I think it was just the two. But if you want to twist the knife into the Scarlet Knights a little bit more, they scored seven points on offense against Kansas. <laughs> Fourteen, seven other points came on a blocked field goal, returned for a touchdown. I, Rutgers, we need, we need to have a talk. They, um, they had 274 yards of offense. Like, like how? Oh, God, you. What, okay, uh, hold on. Let me oh, this, see. this many... bill gets worse. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm investigating the stat line. They allowed 400 yards rushing. Uh, Kansas oh, yeah. Kansas averaged over eight yards a rush. Puka Williams is good, but yeah, I, it looks like they he just got gashed on. It looks like they got gashed on big run. Darren Thompson had three carries for 70 yards. Khalil Herbert. Uh, two for 64 yards. Uh, yeah, ugh, but still. Yeah. I'm actually looking at this, and uh, unless my eyes deceive me, which I don't think they do. Yeah, the Big Ten has the two worst Power Five teams in uh, in the country in Illinois and uh, in Illinois and Rutgers. So that's a that's a that's a fun little tidbit for any of you who go to trivia this week. If you know the person who does trivia is a psychopath. Uh, speaking of psychopaths, uh, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan beat SMU 45-20. I don't have too much to say. Uh, Shea Patterson was good against a not great uh, SMU defense. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, four receptions, uh, 90 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Chris Evans did a little bit on the ground. I, You know, not much that I think you could take away from a game like this, but it, it is going to be interesting to watch if Michigan – uh, which has Nebraska and then goes to Northwestern and then Maryland before its uh, tough three-game stretch of Wisconsin at Michigan State and then Penn State is able to start able to get on a little bit of a run and start to round into form and start to have its talent turn into results heading into uh you know as it gets into mid-October. Yeah, I watched a fair amount of this game actually. Um, don't ask why, but um, it was a very Jim Harbaugh, Michigan team kind of game, I guess. Um, you, know, you mentioned Patterson's numbers was, was very efficient. They ran the ball pretty well, almost five yards a carry. Um, you know, uh, we did not see any uh, Karan Higdon, who I believe is banged up. Chris Evans was the uh, the leading rusher, 18 carries for 85 yards. Um, it was just a very, you know, kind of, I'm going to equate this to something kind of weird, kind of some of those early James Franklin years, non-conference games where, yeah, they won by, you know, three or four scores, but it wasn't very pretty. It was better than that, but 
it's hard to really take too much from it because SMU is just not very good. They're they're zero and three now. Um, they haven't given up fewer than forty two points. That was in uh, week two um, when they hosted TCU in a monsoon in uh, um, the Dallas area, I believe. <laughs> um, and so I, I, you know, Michigan. Yeah, they've they've rolled Western Michigan and and now SMU in back to back weeks after looking. Um, just disinterested almost against Notre Dame. So I, I don't think we know a whole lot more about Michigan than we, than we knew three weeks ago or two weeks ago after, yeah, mm-hmm. two weeks ago after the Notre Dame game. So it's just, I, like I said earlier, I'm really f- interested to see what this Nebraska Michigan game looks like. Cause I think Nebraska is better than Owen two. And if they have Adrian Martinez, I think um, that he's the kind of guy who can give Michigan some, some fits. Um, I don't think, I don't think Michigan loses, but, um, I, I think them being ranked 19 is probably about right. I, I, they, the Notre Dame win does or loss looks, you know, even worse and worse now a little bit because they probably should have lost to Vanderbilt. They were very blah. Notre Dame was against ball state in week two. So I don't know how, how good Notre Dame really is. So, um, and, and Michigan's probably kind of on cruise control a little bit before that three-game stretch, like you mentioned. So, um, yeah, it's probably a team that I'll watch a little more closely for reasons that I've outlined, um, you know, earlier this year. But um, I think there's still a, a pretty big question mark until we we see them against some better competition. Uh, BYU Wisconsin. Uh, BYU was able to go into Camp Randall, pick up a win, a pretty impressive feat. Uh, really just took it to the Badgers. I mean, they, they decided they went in and they wanted to be the more physical football team, which you have to be real brave to want to do against Wisconsin. Uh, and mix that with the fact that, you know, they, Wisconsin just was not able to engineer that, uh, game winning drive because, you know, for how, for what Alex Hornerbrook does well, short passes, conservative football doesn't really work in these kinds of situations. You put it all together and, uh, yeah, Wisconsin is now two and one, and suddenly they they look a little bit more vulnerable than we expected at the start of the year when they thought this. We all thought this was a team that could make the college football playoff, and some stuff broke the right way. Yeah, I I didn't really watch a lot of this game until the last five or six minutes when uh, when it looked like BYU was going to pull off the upstart. It had a chance to at that point, um, and it, you know, just, it looks like a you know from a number standpoint, you know, pretty even. You know, yards is almost identical. Um, you know, BYU, you know, had 191 yards rushing, but they did it on, on 28 carries. I'm trying to count number of plays here. It looks like Wisconsin had to have dominated time of possession, but they, they only turned the ball over once. It just, it, you know, like you said, Wisconsin ran 71 plays to 51 for BYU. And so it's just, you know, like you said, Bill, I think they just, you know, BYU beat them. I don't think it was, well, you know, a lot of times you look at these non-conference losses and, oh, they turned the ball over a handful of times or this weird thing happened or this player got hurt early. Um, it's just, you know, from a, a pure number standpoint, you know, the, the, the better team on Saturday won. And that's not to say that Wisconsin's still not good, I think. Um, you, you don't win as many games with essentially the same roster as they have the last two years and not be, be really good, but... Um, I think it probably um, it almost certainly knocks them out of the playoff discussion. Um, it'd, oh, it'd be hard to see. A, uh, I guess that they have enough crossover games where if they were to win out and win the Big Ten, then then they have an argument. But um, I think maybe a little bit of that 
I don't want to say paper tiger, that's too harsh, but um, probably a, a fair result given a fair result from a playoff standpoint, given that um, you know, some of the limitations they have. And you, you mentioned, I think, with them driving to to take the lead or tie, and they, they missed the field goal from 44 or 45 yards, I think it was. Um, they just don't have the, the game-breaking talent outside. They certainly do in, you know, in Jonathan Taylor. But they just don't have the quarterback. They don't have the receiving talent that's going to to, to, to kind of make them a multi-dimensional team. Um, and they, they benefit greatly from this Big Ten West that we've discussed ad nauseum here from being just, just bad. Yeah, and the last game of the weekend, um, Ohio State 40, TCU to tw- uh, 28, despite the fact that, you know, uh, Ohio State uh, got gifted a touchdown in the first half and should have gone into the locker room down 14-5. to five. Uh, that should have been a safety on the uh, sack by Nick Bosa that was recovered in the end zone. Uh, it, like this Ohio State team, man, when they decided they were going to turn on the Jets, there just wasn't much that TCU could do. And, you know, a good portion of it might be because TCU was just exhausted. Uh, TCU decided early on it was going to try and go and go and go and go and go. Uh which works right up until you're a team that has uh, that it doesn't have the depth to go up against an Ohio State. But Dwayne Haskins looked great, uh, 24 for 38, 344 yards, two touchdowns. Also scored the team's one rushing touchdown. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, 18 carries, 121 yards. Mike Weber, 18 carries, 64 yards. It looks to me, Matt, like Ohio State. Like, they're terrifying. But the one thing that I am fascinated in is whether or not this team changes in any way once Urban Meyer gets back. Because for all we know, Urban Meyer, uh, Ohio State ran the ball 42 times through at 38. Only three of those carries were by other quarterback. For all we know, Urban Meyer is going to do what Urban Meyer does and that is put the ball in your quarterback's hands and tell him to win the game. And if that's what ends up happening, I like Penn State's chances a little bit more, but if he goes, we're going to be a balanced team, we're not going to rely on our quarterback's legs, we're going to let him throw, that gives me some pause heading into uh, September 29th. Yeah, I, I, this game was was very exciting. I think the the score, the 12-point margin at the end, is probably about right. Um TCU had some things go their way, um, but, but at the same time, you mentioned the, the safety or the touchdown that should have been a safety. Um, there was over a thousand yards of offense. Obviously, sixty-eight points scored. Um, I think TCU was fortunate. Re- Ohio State's receivers did not play well. Um, you know, you mentioned Haskins' numbers; those probably should have been four or five at least completions better. There were several just egregious drops uh, by numerous Ohio State receivers. Um, but I, your curiosity is the same as mine. Urban Meyer comes back this week. They play Tulsa, Tulane, Tulane. Um, don't ask me why I get a team in New Orleans and a team in Oklahoma confused, but, um, we've talked a lot about this over the last however many years that Urban Meyer in big games and Urban Meyer on the road in big games 
for all his success, has been pretty conservative. I think we've seen it a lot in the last two trips he's made to to Beaver Stadium, where in 2014, <coughs> excuse me, he really buttoned things up, and when he got up 10 or 17 points, whatever it was, um, and opened the door a crack for Penn State to get back into the game, which they were able to do with um, that late touchdown drive that forced overtime. Um, and then again, two years ago, where he really, like you said, put the ball in JT Barrett's hands because he trusted him more than any, anyone else. But this has happened in other games. There's the the Big Ten Championship game against uh, Michigan State um, several years ago when Michigan State knocked them off in Indianapolis where uh, he he did not go to, I believe it was Carlos Hyde at that point. There was the Michigan State game in Columbus. Um, Offensive coordinator Ezekiel Elliott, baby. Exactly. You know, Elliott did not touch the ball in a, in a rainstorm. And this is going to be Dwayne Haskins' first true road game. You know, I don't know how many of you watched the, the, the game on Saturday night, but there was a lot of Scarlet and Gray and Jerry World. Um, there's going to be a lot of white in, in Beaver Stadium here in 13 days. And whether, whether it's intentional or not, I think it's, it's only natural to expect more of the same. Um, you know, Urban Meyer is an offensive coach. That's how he made his name. He's, you know, coached quarterbacks um, everywhere he's been. He, you know, to I can't I don't know what the Heisman count is. I know he, you know, Tebow obviously won the, won the one, but Alex Smith, Tebow, J.T. Barrett. You know, we had Braxton Miller at Ohio State. Um, it's just the one Heisman now that I think about it. But he puts the ball in his quarterback's hands, and it's not often throwing it. You know, it's the focal point of his offense going back to Utah. And even Bowling Green before that has been let the quarterback run. And I guess the the million-dollar question going into sort of this weekend against Tulane, but especially in, in two weeks, is Haskins is certainly athletic enough. He's not JT Barrett. He's certainly not Braxton Miller um, or Tim Tebow or Alex Smith. But he he's certainly capable of running the ball. With Urban Meyer back running the sideline for Ohio State, do they – maintain their their run pass balance by relying on guys like jk dobbins and mike weber or does all of a sudden dwayne haskins start holding on the ball a little bit more on those read option plays um that's that's something to, to watch for a, you know as much as we can against a team that they're just going to pound in the salt um at 3 30 on saturday but um I, I wish I could answer that question because it would make it a lot easier to discuss that game in a couple of weeks. Oh, but, yeah. Well, uh, um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it playing with our uh, friends over at 11 Warriors at that point. But I, you mentioned that's the million-dollar question. Right now, the $100 million question is whether Nick Bosa is going to be able to play because uh, left the game on uh, left the game with an ab strain on Saturday night. And then after the game, he posted something uh, – on Instagram and Dwayne Haskins went in the comments and says, we're going to have to hold it down for you. You Can't wait to have you back heal up. So, well, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing to monitor because if Nick Bose is not in, I mean, Ohio state's defense is still a whole bunch of studs. They're going to replace him with chase young. Who's going to be a superstar. Uh, but Nick Bosa is the second best, uh, defensive lineman in football might be the second best player in football behind Ed Oliver, but, We'll uh we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, 
that's it. That was this week in Penn State. That's this week in the Big Ten. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, if you did, uh, make sure you subscribe to the pod on all the various platforms. Hop on iTunes, leave us a review. If you want to make it a five-star one, that'd be great. If you don't, please don't leave us a review. Uh, keep buying some shirts, keep reading the site, keep supporting the site. Uh, check out our social media channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and yeah, one more time, thank you very much for listening uh, to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.